coming and it's nice to see people in the room. I'm very excited. Um, can everyone online hear me? Just thumbs up if you can. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so this is our second to last colloquium of the semester. Next week, we're gonna have uh, the Ag Biofuse cohort two present an update on their group project. So that will be fun and interesting to uh, tune into. Um, but today we're going to have a really great speaker, but I'm gonna let Joseph, one of our students, do the introduction. Um, so Joseph, are you ready? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, sure, I, I'm ready. Um, you're welcome to today's colloquium on pioneering work in genetic engineering of crops and its adoption in Africa. And um, our guest today is Dr. Florence Wambugu. She's the founding director and the chief executive officer of the Africa Harvest Biotech Foundation International. She did graduate from the University of Nairobi in Kenya with a Bachelor of Science in Botany and Zoology, then an MSc in Botanical Pathology from the North Dakota State University. Recording in progress. And subsequently with a PhD from the University of Bath, England. She is actually the founder uh, and did run at a point in time the Africa Region Office of ISA, which publishes statistics on GMO usage across the world. And she did her postdoctoral fellowship with Monsanto, which is now Bayer, and did work at the Kenya Agricultural Research Institute. She's actually winner of 11 African and international awards. Um, Dr. Ambogu, thanks very much for making the time to join us today. Apologies that circumstances beyond my control couldn't make it possible for me to be there in person to meet you. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you for that introduction. I want to start by saying how grateful I am indeed for being here and the welcome I've received uh, from uh, the people I believe associated with the Genetic Engineering Society, Professor Fred, and today I met Jennifer and Shalon online and Omasi uh, also Modesta met me at the airport. I've had a great reception and uh, to also had uh, breakfast with uh, Professor Mike. Uh, they have been, uh, I feel very much at home in North Carolina, the place I visited twice. First, when I was a postdoc, to share with you, in uh, uh, 1992, and I came again in 2014. So I always feel good to be here, especially in summer or spring, not in winter. <laughs> so let me start my presentation by saying that my presentation, my presentation has three components. One is about my pioneering research when I was a postdoc and uh, in the 90s uh, using sweet potato. The second component is about uh, still in genetic engineering on uh, for biofortification of sorghum. And the third component of my presentation is about uh, development work, where I again pick sweet potato again, uh, where I had left it. And so I'm sure I'm not disappointed. The sweet potato group, which I hear is very excited, I'll introduce me to a few tomorrow. I'm not disappointed, the sweet potato group. But uh, my work has been more than just sweet potato because of the demand that needs in Africa. Let me start saying that uh, uh, my pioneering work in sweet potato starts from a really childhood, uh, just passion for crop protection. I grew up in post-independence Kenya. There was absolutely serious hunger and poverty. Come from a family of 10. I was six brothers, four, uh, four sisters. I was number six. 
and we had real challenges of food. And uh, as I grew up, I believe science will make a difference, especially uh, in our own situation in home. I believe if I, I work hard as a scientist, I'll be able to increase the food, and not just for me, also for the uh, for the the subsistence farmers, of which my family had many families who were struggling then. I was one of them. So it's another passion, and I carried it on. Hawaii sweet potato and many scientists actually asked me, you're so gifted, why aren't you working on maize? Nothing wrong with that. Except the sweet potato was like uh, the crop when we are hungry, came from school, you'd learn and pull it out from the soil. It's like a, a small um, supermarket around the home where we could get the tubers and eat and clean up and cook. So I grew up with sweet potato around me and I felt it was very disadvantaged as I grew up. I realized there were not much people. When I went to university, not many scientists working on sweet potato. And that's what you have done here. They were focusing on the big crops. And uh, I, my passion was, if I'm going to change the lives of my mother, like people like my mom and others, I need to work on these neglected crops. And, and so sweet potato and the other crops I'll work with later. Uh, so let me say that again, I come to food and nutritional security and development after ABS, Sogam, because of the real demand for development. So from my early passion, then I went on to focus on sweet potato. I've shared that. And one of the big reasons is seriously the youth gap. On average here, I'm positive you produce more than 15 metric tons of sweet potato per hectare. In Africa, the average is four. 4.7 and even less. And I would believe that other than the improvement in genetics, the virus take a huge part of that. And because unlike the late bright where you can see and hate with the antifungoside, the, the sweet potato causes a slow degeneration. And uh, I am familiar with a little bit of what we are doing here to avoid the sweet potato viruses. And that hasn't worked very well for Africa then, although things are changing. So the yield gap being so huge, I was like, working on virus to reduce this yield gap. And the Kenya Agriculture Research Institute, I worked for 12 years, um, and I focus very much on potatoes, with potato research on virus work. And then uh, later, 1970, 1971, went to University of Bath in England to pursue a PhD, still focusing on literally, again, uh, looking for resistant varieties to virus, looking at how do I cured a huge gap by focusing on virus, what methods work. So my PhD work was on control of uh, sweet potato virus uh, through um, uh, looking at virology work aspects and control. And let me say at the conclusion of the work at Bath for three and a half years, I realized what works where may not work very well in Africa. Because unlike here where you actually are able to the winter controls the virus, the, 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 the insect cycle. You don't know how much good the winter does to you, to the, to the temperate countries because it breaks the vicious cycle of the aphid and white fry and all these insects. But in Africa, it's warm, it's good throughout the year, so the insects are very, very active. So they're very busy transmitting the viruses. And so when you bring in clean material, unless you can protect it, that infection within the second year is eroded. So if you're starting with the clean planting material, it's not economic because within the second year, it's heavily eroded the virus because the aphids active throughout the year. And here you're able to keep for four generations 
in Africa by two generations, the material is heavily infected, especially if the farmers are sharing the materials, they are sharing the seedling, and they believe in sharing, sharing the, the planting material. And so bring me to the last part about the genesis of my involvement in genetic engineering is after completing the PhD, my PhD work at the University of Bath, and that's when I had an opportunity through USID to advance in a new technology called genetic engineering, which I didn't know much about, which I believed could kind of vaccinate my sweet potatoes. So then I'm able to come with a genetically engineered sweet potatoes, uh, which will be resistant to uh, sweet potato feather motovirus, which was a major problem. And then my, our farmers can share the materials because the resistant is already in the seed. And so easier to keep the casual practice, maybe I thought easier to deal with the casual issues. And so I embarked on this later transition because I graduated uh, in, in December of 1990 and 1991, I headed to the to, to, to US, to Monsanto, without a sponsorship from USID, Kenya government, what, to work on this very important work. When I landed uh, in St. Louis now to work on the work, I realized I was advised that the, the person, the professor who has a gene clone, for the sweet potato feather motovirus, Professor Jim Moyer is a university called North Carolina sweet potato group. They should be smiling about this. And that I need to come and work with him for a period of three months to be able to develop the gene clones, to learn more about how to control the sweet potato virus and so on. So I came here as a postdoc and did three years under Professor Jim Moyer of the sweet potato group. And uh, by then you were able to come up actually, uh, then back to Monsanto where the technology was based and uh, we were able to really develop a genetic engineering, managed to develop two sweet potato tetragenic lines using good protein, good protein gene. And um, then uh, while I was here and also in the private sector, I was able to learn about the biosafety, product development, marketing aspects of the, I was, I, because I was hungry for knowledge information, I didn't just, just learn genetic engineering. I also learned many other aspects concerning with the whole area of a discovery group, product development, marketing group, many aspects of associated with taking the crops out from research R&D to how you market crops through the pipeline that, that the private sector was working on. Now, after three, four years, I returned back now to Africa and my, again, other working with an organization called ICEAAA. They actually are known for producing uh, something called ISA Brief that is always uh, summarizing how many few trials have been, of uh, genetic engineering crops globally have been uh, been going on. And uh, working with the Kenya Agriculture Research Institute, my previous employer, we transferred the the genetic, uh, transferred uh, the, the, the G, G sweet potato, to contain few trials. Now, the biggest challenge going back was the fact that uh, technology was ahead of infrastructure development. We didn't have biosafety regulations in the country to regulate this. Many institutions did not even have a biotech lab or even biotechnology lab. So I was really going to my, my the sweet potato helped in the, lacing the bar for about genetic engineering because here is a crop developed by an African, literally supported by African systems. And here we need to develop the system and infrastructure to accommodate it. 
So there was limited biosafety protocol experience and the debate this sweet potato generated the discussion within East Africa, not just Kenya, East Africa. By then there was only uh, Egypt that was doing work on GM or G genetic engineering and South Africa. In the sub-Saharan Africa, this was the only crop. So it generated a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. And by then we had a serious pushback by anti-GM lobby group from Europe with the claims that G genetic engineering technology is very risky to human and environment and Africa should reject it the way Europe had done. Africa should stay completely out of it. And uh, they didn't believe anybody knew anything they were talking about. And uh, uh, that means I had to stick out and say, yes, here I am. I know something about it. I've been trained and I know there are some good aspects. We should just throw the technology out. We should learn more. We should be more involved. Let's have biosafety regulatory development. Let's have more scientists involved in this technology because it's going to become a global technology. Let Africa not be left behind. We can reject the bad aspects of it. We can look at the good. So um, here we are looking at, uh, again, this crop being the first lure in sub-Saharan Africa, a public good, uh, sweet potato developed by an African and in an African setup back home. And uh, the, the, the fact that this, this, this helped again to develop the awareness and uh, stimulate the biosafety and again, as I said, more laboratories, more people get involved. And also gave me, really, I think it gave me a visibility because I refused to keep quiet. I decided to tell the other scientists, let's not keep quiet about science because many scientists didn't believe you need to talk about your science. After all, you are doing so good, why don't you talk about it? Um, there are issues, of course, uh, that had to make scientists get out. And they realize that uh, good science, you're not able to take it out unless you can explain to the public and you are ready to discuss, accept the good, and they accept their shadows and deal with them. So there was more engagement in African institutions. And truly, I can say this work laid a serious foundation for many laboratories in Africa being involved in this work. So that's a big contribution. And the awareness. I think it also gave me a high profile, high visibility, because uh, one day I was walking in the streets of Nairobi and I received a call from Professor Harold Famos, who was a Nobel Prize laureate winner in chemistry. And uh, he told me I've been uh, invited to join the Science Board of Bill and Melina Gates Foundation because they want to, to develop what they call grand challenges for global health. And uh, could I go for a meeting, which was going to take place in Washington, D.C. And so I joined this meeting. Next slide. By then, Gates, Bill and Marina Gates Foundation, they're talking about 2003, 2004. Uh, the grants were made in 2005. By then, the Gates Foundation were only funding uh, medical research in vaccine and that. They had not really ventured to the agriculture part. And so again, another pioneering work, doors opened by the sweet potato, a work that I did in genetic engineering, I believe. Although there was not told come and do genetic engineering, I was invited to come and develop what they call grand challenges for global health. And this means the grants were about 20 million US dollars across the board. The challenges were supposed to be of global importance. They were supposed to be the kind of challenges which cannot be resolved just by traditional means. 
and I found myself among uh, 20 medical doctors. I was the only non-medical. I was the only African. And I really wondered, and I was told to come up with something, come up with a grand challenge. Not for me and I, but for thinking global. And as we spent time thinking, debating, I thought about nutrition enhancement of some major crops. And uh, I, with my effort leadership championing, I came up with, a, or we came up with a, a, grad, a, a, a grad challenge for global health. Uh, for, for nutrition enhancement of four crops. One was already existing, the rice, the golden rice group. They had already done some discovery in uh, Germany. And uh, so that was uh, enhancing it with funding and more support. Then three new ones, cassava uh, from Ohio University, banana, a professor called James Dale, Queensland University in Australia was working on on uh, banana for nutrition enhancement of vitamin A. And myself, I came up with a consortium based in Africa. By then, I was on an advisory role in DuPont, and I used to visit uh, Pioneer, at, uh, and I knew they had uh, already had a proof of concept of biofortifying sorghum for vitamin A, which was very rudimentary then. And so I actually put together a consortium of, uh, based on four organizations, one in being in the uh, US, the, the Pioneer DuPont group, then now Cotiva, uh, one in Kenya, one in South Africa, and one in Nigeria, and our was to work on biofortification of uh, Africa sorghum varieties with vitamin A, iron, and zinc. Pioneering work, getting again into area of genetic engineering. And nutrition enhancement sorghum for added and arid areas of the tropics, ABS project was again grad challenge for global health. Out of 43 grad challenges uh, through science, uh, being in the science board, and of course I, I declared a conflict of interest. I said I wanted to champion something from Africa. I knew if I don't do that, no one will come, there will be nothing, no one will come from Africa. And uh, so in this area, uh, I was able to pull out a consortium and truly the only one. From out of 43 grand challenges, only one that came from Africa and the one that I championed. And as a member of the Gates Foundation Science Group, I championed development of, uh, of these four crops I mentioned, cassava, banana, um, rice, and sorghum. Mine was the pioneering in Africa, the only one. This was also pioneering work because I was the only African and non-medical member of the science board. This science board lasted for a number of years. Out of 43, this was the only grand challenge led by an African and implemented through a consortium of four countries, Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, and the US. This was a consortium, uh, technology development pioneer, which is DuPont, then now Cotiva, UC Berkeley, CSIR in the institution in South Africa, involved technology development, product development. I learned this in the private sector, ICRISAT, is a CG that CGIL works on sorghum improvement, Agriculture Research Council, South Africa, University of Pretoria, working on food technology. Uh, because in the end, the vitamins has to stabilize in food crop. Africa Harvest, working on enabling environment, product distribution and management. At the Africa Agriculture Technology Foundation and Forum for Agriculture Research in Africa on Dissemination. Uh, you can see this a dynamic group. And this was bigger than this. 
and uh, we worked and uh, made extremely good progress in so many areas. And again, why sorghum? Yeah, sorghum is the most important green crop for food use center of origin is Africa, primary seed in Arida, semi-arid geographies of Africa. You may not realize 300 million people feed on sorghum in Africa. In the Sayo areas like Burkina Faso, Nigeria, is the most important food crop and the most consumed as porridge. Trigenic approaches were the only way to biofortify sorghum. You couldn't do it by traditional breeding. The levels were very low on vitamin E. And with our leveraging the, the grain improvement, um, we were able to find genes from Sirius. There were several things we had to do, but the focus was to increase vitamin A. E came to stabilize the vitamin E. The summary, I'll summarize just what was achieved. Mainly objective was to develop technology that would result in transgenic sorghum that would alleviate vitamin A deficiency as well as iron and zinc deficiencies in children under three years. This objective was achieved through technology development, partnership, 16 scientific institutions, 12 African institutions, four US-based institutions, capacity building, in Africa research, seed system, regulatory affairs, communication, and do the strengthening African institutions. Uh, these uh, African institutions are conducting a few trials, Kenya, Nigeria, with um, biosafety, uh, food safety, and development, product development, again, uh, many things. Continuing with the summary, number one, we achieved 70 uh, micrograms of beta carotene, very high level, comparable to golden rice, or even higher, compared to the wild type. Uh, demonstrated uh, uh, co-expression, meaning vitamin E to stabilize the vitamin A. Normally, vitamin A is unstable on its own, but we also, this was also discovered and was patented. And again, stacking. We're able to stack, um, to do stacking of vitamin A and again, iron and zinc. Uh, also achieved, there was, before this research, there was no transformation work done on sorghum, absolutely. So we developed the transformation system for sorghum and did it with the three African varieties, Tegemeo, Marisa, Masia, Tegemeo and Marisa, West Africa, Masia is East Africa, and increased iron and zinc bioavailability through phytic reduction, co-oppression. I don't go into a lot of that. Those are a few patents, but these patents are very much to protect what we have generated. I don't go into a lot of scientific pathways that was followed. Remember, this is a very dynamic project. Um, the, I don't go into all that, but I want to say we progressively increase the vitamin A, iron, and zinc. And um, a total of 17 contained few trials in Nigeria and Kenya have been done. We had a tragenic line, 118, vitamin A, iron, and zinc, 203, tragenic line A, high level vitamin A. And uh, then we had uh, one which had... Uh, uh, stacked genes of A, iron, and zinc. That's leading out to beautiful product development. Serious capacity building. Many of these scientists were trained in the U.S. and all kinds of laboratories and UC Berkeley, not just on transformation, also in biosafety, breeding, and molecular biology. And again, uh, GM, G technology alone can't do without breeding. And so we realized all that was needed. Of course, we are following a private sector path. Um, and again, more achievements uh, are not, we had to do some bioinformatics, uh, modeling, 
issues of digestibility, availability. We learned a lot about the negative publicity of golden rice. And so we actually worked on things in advance to that we knew they were being criticized for. So things like availability, how much does a child have to feed? We realized 100 grams is enough to get the vitamin that needed. And uh, so we have faced a lot of criticism that golden rice had faced. Um, let me say that uh, uh, this work that we we did um, on, G, on, on sorghum uh, haven't been completed, uh, but it has made a lot of impact. The reason being, it, they didn't receive funding to, for completion. It kind of got stuck due to funding a reduction, but there's so far a lot of good science was done. To give the, the final phase of funding, uh, we could not get to complete the work. Uh, with that, let me move to the last bit now. Is about the work on development work which we have done. But before that, let me not disappoint and say that when we started this campaign on G, sweet potato and sorghum, there was still a lot of resistance in Africa to actually adopt G technology. Very serious uh, work, Robert Group from Europe, mainly, and also from Africa, even some scientists. Uh, but a lot has changed in Africa. If actually currently Africa is the fastest growing continent in countries adopting genetic engineering technologies. Uh, currently, we have jumped like three to six countries 2019. Um, from initial 2018, 2019, Malawi, Nigeria, Ethiopia, now we've got uh, six countries which have adopted, Kenya being one of them. And uh, what are the popular crops? We've got soya bean, maize, cotton, cowpea, sugarcane, rice, potato, sweet potato, cassava, banana, all going on. Technology is being harnessed to address food, nutrition, mitigation, climate change, catalytic improvement in livelihood, particularly amongst smallholder farmers, communities. There's, cotton is addressing this, and all these crops, there's potential even for maize. Uh, finally, development work in terms of what we have done in Africa Harvest, and believe me, I'm also the founder of Africa Harvest. I'm the founding director of Africa Harvest 20 years ago. So most of the development work, also the GMs, the, the, the sorghum biofortification was done in Africa Harvest. The sweet potato was done in before Africa Harvest, but uh, the biofortification of sorghum was done within Africa Harvest. And most of the development work we have done is within Africa Harvest. And uh, our vision is and still is to lead a fight of Africa free of hunger, poverty, malnutrition. Vision must always be bigger than yourself so other people work together, and innovation is to be achieved through innovation. I've always believed science must contribute to increase productivity in agriculture, which is the case in every place. To improve the livelihood of rural communities, we need scientific innovation, improvement. They don't have to be genetic engineering. They can improve varieties. Use of science, innovation-based, sustainable models in agriculture development. And then... When you are dealing with the rural communities, you need not only introduce the technology, deal with the issues of good economic practice to unlock the superior genetics from breeding and then link to the market. And with this, Africa Harvest has moved about 10 value chains, two in crops, two in small, uh, what I call short cycle livestock. So in summary, the work on G technology, remember is long term, takes many years. Meanwhile, they are pressing needs of full nutritional and income security in Africa, employment creation among the youth and women. 
Africa Harvest Development work focuses on crop and potential impact on many rural households through food, nutrition, and income generation. Our focus is deployment of improved technology to reduce the youth gap through information, access to improved technology that link to the market, improve varieties as well. And now, you, I don't know if you're aware that Africa is importing worth $40 billion a year of food. A lot of this could be produced within Africa. And one of the big excuses by importers is that they cannot find enough volume, they can't find quality, and they can't find timely delivery. So easier to import from outside. And blimey is all kind of crops. And, and so, uh, again, because we are dealing with smallholder farmers, you need to aggregate, you need to train to bring quality and to bring timely delivery. And that's an area we are addressing on, also to reduce the import bill, but also to return back the jobs back to Africa. And create models that can be adopted by others. So information, good agronomic practice, and linked to the market is a way to reduce this huge import bill and make sure things, uh, crops we can produce, we are not importing. And this include maize, include rice, include sugarcane, include crops, temperate crops, and uh, leveraging expertise and experience from GE technology to create impact. Here, we have done a lot of work on uh, banana. Believe me, banana is, uh, is a tropical crop. And before we started, the work in Africa harvest, that we're talking about 16 years ago, the only country in Africa, there were two countries in Africa that was actually exporting banana, South Africa and Cote d'Ivoire, all by multinational companies. But now with this quality, bringing tissue culture from the laboratory, training the farmers, having excellent quality assurance, African countries, Eastern Africa, Uganda is doing tissue culture, banana, East Africa, Kenya farmers go to the laboratory, to the Tissue culture necessary to get material no longer use their own, their own materials yet generated. There have been a, a complete shift to quality and volume and uh, definitely business out of that. Back to sweet potato, I'll tell you that a little bit more. We picked up sweet potato again now for two reasons. We picked some of the varieties from International Potato Center that were already biofortified for already fresh vitamin A, multiplying them again, find a way to keep them in multiply the seedlings in contained greenhouses to reduce the virus uptake, uh, infection, and uh, keep the big tubers going because they are not loaded with virus. And that's again development work. Information, agronomy, and link to the market. We worked on cassava as well. We obtained uh, cassava that has been where researchers have already got cassava resistant to cassava side virus, go through the same cycle of information, agronomy, linked to the market, move from five tons per hectare to 20 tons per hectare. The difference is not just the genetics are good, research is good, but agronomy are linked to the market. That's what gets people out of poverty to sustainable livelihoods. We worked on the crops like sorghum. We've done a lot of work on sorghum. And this one, we had with uh, import bio companies that are importing sorghum for products they are now use, using locally power millet, and in fact, figure millet. A bit of a, a panoramic view of how we have done this, there are numbers. For example, take a case of the banana work where we have worked with several funders, including USID, IFAD, Locofella, DuPont, where they funded some work. And within a period of 20, a period of, um, let's say, 
10 years, we have delivered, let's say, a sample, let's say 200,000 farmers is a sample. You can see the US dollar on the, on the right hand. You can count the dollars at which farmers have received and which has got them out of poverty. So it's not hypothetical. There are people with the faces and numbers. Poverty is not just a name of human beings who are poor, who can calculate these people, we got them out of poverty using scientific innovations, but through the whole value chain. And uh, we create models that other people can copy. This may not change Africa, but you create some model of success. It can be replicated, and that's what is happening. We've done the same for sorghum. We have created a model of aggregation, where, again, sorghum was a crop that was highly neglected, farmers getting very little money, brought in improved varieties from research, brought in good agronomic practice, linked to the market of takers, and they built an excellent model. This has taken 11 years. But again, is now a story of success. Whereas farmers, sorghum farmers are making money, they are building houses, they're educating their children, they are building houses, they're doing all kinds of things. And sorghum in Uruga neglected crop become a very important crop because the off-takers are there, the millers, the moting companies, uh, the feed industry, the food industry. Again, it starts with good genetics. So research is absolutely vital, but it doesn't stop there. It goes to good agronomy and linked to the market or to the off-takers. Finally, the back to the sweet potato. I don't want to, to disappoint, and this is a final disappoint the, the sweet potato group in uh, this university. And that, um, again, we have established link again with the sweet potato, but now to shift to the orange fresh, which is, um, but again, it had to be virus resistant or virus tolerant. The virus work has been done. It's not genetically modified, but is the work with sweet potato. It started with virus. So the work has, we still did on virus. The system highlighted the importance of virus. Even if you have got good varieties, but they are, they are not have a level of tolerance to the virus, they'll be devastated or they'll be destroyed by, by the virus. So virology still works. Pathology is still important. Breeding is important and all the other components, including marketing quality, farm acceptance, the taste, the flavor, and the socioeconomic aspects. And we have had two projects um, which have delivered. And you see these small booths now, the small booths you see here is to protect the seed ring. Here you, you keep your, in North Carolina, you keep your seeds as small tubers. We keep the vines. Remember, we don't have winter. So our vines had to be protected in a small booth. Uh, it's like a mosquito net to keep the mosquitoes out, but here in the field, so they are not reinfected. During summer, during the time come to plant, then we get them out. I think it's to train the farmers to do this. So we are still doing it in our own way, and uh, not so much because the farms are not as big as your farms, but the same principle to keep the virus out during the, 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 the off season, and then they plant again. And we are, we are, we are closed in the yield gap in a big way. And again, the difference between your sweet potato and our sweet potato is that uh, your sweet potato is soft. The Africans like the hard, sweet. Uh, my, uh, the, uh, my friend there from, from Uganda, is smiling because we don't like the soft one where you, you take as a pudding. Oh, I call it, I don't know, bad pudding one. Ours has to be sweet. So breeders have been to work to improve the breeding for us, Africa to accept this sweet potato, to add the sweetness, to add the high, more mustache. So, but the, 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 the vitamins have been retained. So there's been a lot of work of breeding. And that's why we can never see one technology as a silver bullet. 
no one technology. Even if you build assistance, you have to think about the breeding, the farm acceptance, the marketing quality, and uh, uh, work to make sure the farmers accept your product. That holistic approach. And also the link to the market, very, very important. And here you also create businesses because the entrepreneurs who are keeping the vines, there are people who are producing, others are transporting. You create, that's how you create jobs as well. So here you can see um, my, our farmer here is very happy. Why? Because she's having all these beautiful sweet potatoes. She's nourished, her family is nourished, her children, her grandchildren are nourished. It's a success story back to North Carolina. I published uh, two books. Um, first one is Modifying Africa. The second one is Biotechnology in Africa. This one is interesting, the biotechnology in Africa, because uh, I took a group of uh, African scientists who are working on biotechnology 2012, 2014, African scientists who are working in labs in Africa to Bellagio in Italy, Rockefeller Foundation has a beautiful place there to go and write. And we went and wrote this book with them. And so it's really, have an, a, a, a really summarizes uh, the genetic engineering work. I've never abandoned the technology, even if I go to development. And so I, they're still working with the genetic engineering group. We took the work going on in African laboratories, literally funded by African governments and some donors, and went to Bellagio, Italy, a local foundation, and wrote this book. And it's outstanding because it's, it's printed by Springer and very much summarized the work going on. And it was to challenge the thinking that nothing is going on in Africa, so every GM technology is pushed from the north. That's not true. Many laboratories in Africa are working on GM technology to solve the African problems. Um, with that, let me acknowledge there have been support. I want to acknowledge North Carolina because I was here several times. Knowledge must be accepted. That is something good contributed to my own development and hence the transfer to Africa. This university has contributed. Con acknowledge Monsanto for the work I did there. Currently, they are, called, they are bare. Uh, international IFAD, there's a lot of work being funded by this African Development Bank, European Union. We are doing work on sweet potato with them. Bira Marina Gates Foundation for the phase one funding of the Africa Biofortified Southern Project. Howard Buffett did find some more work in phase two. Uh, Dupont Pioneer Cultivar, they were involved a lot in, that, in um, donation of intellectual property as well as development. Kenya, Kenya government at Kenya Agriculture Research at USID, we have been involved. I want to acknowledge this. And finally, let me tell you, uh, a sweet potato is a very important crop. So the sweet potato group keep on doing this. It's, it's really extremely good product, easy to nourish and easy to deliver the nutrients. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um Okay, if, uh, I'll try to speak up to, um, if you're online, it would be really, and you feel comfortable, please turn your video on so we can see you in the room and we can feel like you're part of the conversation more. Uh, thank you, I see them turning on, that's wonderful. Um, okay, we have several questions already in the chat. Um, and I would, if someone in the room has a question, maybe we could let you go first. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Wambugu, for the presentation. I may have missed it in your presentation, um, but I'm wondering where the status quo of 
sweet potatoes is at in Kenya. Um, I mean, I had for sorghum, you said you kind of got stuck, but for the sweet potatoes, since you've talked very much about them, and are they commercialized? I see farmers, a farmer with, you know, having the products, but is this commercialized or are those trials just going on? No, it's not yet commercialized. Again, the challenges were funding, especially by safety. You know, the, the, I'm trying to be pressed to look at questions about the, the, the whole issue of biosafety has been very, very costly. Um, so many of the public research challenges are really going across the biosafety, right? So it's not yet commercialized. And I think that the challenge, I think the other challenge we hit with the sweet potato is that uh, the, the gene clone that we developed, we, we got from here was a bit weak. When they went to Africa, it meant the African, uh, the original African virus were too virulent. For the gene clone I got from Jimoya, and we needed to develop, to increase the level, the, the level of, uh, of strengthening that work to bring it up. So that took a while also. So it's been a funding, strengthening that, and I, I, I must say there, there are no issues of, of patents there to stop the work. It's just the funding and also um, strengthening, coming up with a, with a, with a product that is, can go to the market. Okay, yes. So when you say funding, um you mean funding to continue improving the the product so that it's acceptable? You know, to take the GM crop to the market really demands money. I don't know if you know, it's costly, especially the biosafety, and also strengthen the product you have to. For example, to, to commercialize this sweet potato here, even as it is traditional breeding, it takes effort because farmer had to accept it. You can't just take it out. It has to have high level research. Immediately, has to go back to breeders to improve the, the flavor, to improve the sugar, to improve the, the starch, and so on. That aspect from research to product development. And then from there, it has to pass the biosafety. It needs costly and focus, and sometimes the cutting edge private sector technology. And in this one, there was not, there was a challenge there in terms of finishing, but it's not over yet. It could still be, uh, it could still continue. So Kenya Agriculture Research Institute is still have these uh, materials, they are keeping them, and I believe continue to a certain level, but it's not yet gone out. Yeah. Hey, Rebecca, you have a question. Would you mind asking it aloud? Um, were there any physiological changes with the increase in the vitamin A in this, and zinc in the sorghum um, that would affect the acceptability of the um, products for um, commercialization. I know there was some of that with the um, golden rice. We do not. Uh, well, now with the with the approach we took with the with the with the sorghum, we actually uh, improved the already existing African varieties. We had three of them: Masia, Tegemeo, and uh, Meresa. All these. And that's where we actually. It, it, we worked on that, and we did not see any change, actually. Even if you see the photo I had, they had a photo, I could put that photo back. There was no phenotypic change, or, or phenot there was no change in the in the varieties. The only thing that changed was the color. If you want to go there quickly, the color changed. You can see there is a, there's definitely there's an area, let me see, here you go. You can see there's a change. If you look at this color, it's more, the one with more vitamin A, you can actually see the color there. We do not want to call it a gold and anything. 
but you can see the color is deeper, yeah, because of the increased vitamin A. And if you look again, the wild type compared the one on the right side, I mean it could be your left side, is deeper. The, 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 the color, or the, the orange color of vitamin A was deeper, but there was no other change you could see actually at the microscope or whatever. And we had the University of Pretoria just dealing with those issues, or the phenotypic change dealing with the farm acceptance or full nutrition, even crushing and bread, making it into bread and seeing whether it is going to affect the ability to cook and so on. So simultaneously, we're also dealing with those aspects of, uh, of the change. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Karen Century, would you like to tag on to that? Um, first, uh, thanks, Dr. Wambugo. I was really excited to get the opportunity to hear you speak today. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I wanted to know what the current status is of the you know, your nutritionally enhanced sorghum, if it looks like it will be accepted and grown in those African countries that, that allow GM foods and what the expected timeline is. I'm sure, um, I, I'm at BSF, I'm, I'm well aware of um, costs of, of regulatory issues for GM crops. And I don't know what that's like for um, African, African countries, especially if the um, if it's not meant for export. Yes, um, unfortunately, we also have financial challenges. Um, and uh, there's, um, uh, it's, it's a very good product. And uh, uh, the, 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 the cowpea, Af some of the challenges by some of the funders have been saying, oh, Africa is, uh, Sogam is indigenous to Africa. It might affect uh, if it's released, it might affect, affect some of the indigenous uh, sorghum varieties, maybe. But unfortunately, the, the African governments have not had problem with that. Actually, in Nigeria, which is one of the pioneering work being done in Nigeria, the, the, Af the, the Africa Biofortified Sorghum Project has been accepted as one of the national, national integrated and the national development. And there's a paper we are publishing on that. And uh, because, for example, in Nigeria, Burkina Faso, uh, the vitamin A is a major problem, and most of the nutrients are delivered through sorghum. They very much embrace this project. So we are still looking around for funding to, to continue and complete it. But it's an excellent project. It's a very good project. Very much embraced by the African, by the African governments. The challenge is, again, funding to fund the final push product development and regulatory. The project here is very much in demand and very much popular the charity again is funding. Right. Thanks very much. Okay. Um, just checking in the room here. But I think Dylan um, has a question. Would you like to ask it out loud? I wanted to ask about, so I've heard that one of the major issues that African countries have had with adopting GM crops is that the European market doesn't want them. So uh, would that be a concern or would the technologies you're talking about be specifically for just domestic use? There was a time when that fear of the market uh, and uh, the fear that uh, we are going to lose the, Afri the, the, the European market. Uh, the anti-GMRB groups, uh, the original, like when I, I started the work on sweet potato, the debate was very hot. It was like if African countries adopt GM technology, they will lose their 
there are business opportunity in Europe because Europe, we don't want this technology. It came from America and so on and so forth. But things have changed. As, as I was indicating just now, uh, recently from 2019, more African countries actually, Africa is the fastest continent where countries are adopting GM technology and they're adopting on soybean, believe me, South Africa, cotton, maize, BT maize, and all these crops I showed there. There's a fast adoption going on right now. You go back there very quickly, uh, which is uh, itself is an amazing story because for a long time, the, the African countries were kind of seen like they have uh, uh, they have rejected the, 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 the GM technology. But you can see, for example, um, since 2019, uh, we have got three new countries have taken the, the GM technology for commercialization. We are talking about uh, we are talking about soya bean, maize, cotton, cowpea, sugarcane, rice, potato, sweet potato, cassava, and banana. So all at once is like an awakening. We have been left behind. There's nothing wrong with this technology. And let me say some of these came because of the four army war. I don't know if you know the story of four army war. Um, Professor Fred knew about it. We had dinner with him. He was very vast with it because he's an entomologist. This four army war came from Latin America uh, with food aid, with maize, the frio, not only the maize, but the four army war. And there was no control in Africa. So many African countries were being ravaged by four army war. And then delegations, and I know from my own country, the government took a delegation to Latin America to find out how do they control the foreign war. When they found there, they said, they were told, we control the foreign war by GM technology. BT, 70% of our control is done with gen genetic engineering uh, with BT. And then 30% is retention to prevent a breakdown of this BT. And they were kind of surprised. And that created a momentum of acceptance. I realized we have lost time, we have lost ground. And so there's um, right now high impetus to cash on lost time. And, and I think it will continue. Uh, because as we see, you can't fool all the people all the time. Eventually something will happen and they wake up fight. We have been left behind. And that's what's happening now. Speedy adoption of um, GM technology in Africa. And again, it's case by case and uh, what is needed in which particular country. That's what is happening right now. One of the major breakthroughs was, uh, for example, the adoption of cowpea. Cowpea is like sorghum. It's African indigenous crop. And cowpea has been commercialized in Nigeria and they've been accepted. And there's no concern about uh, indigenous uh, mix. All the theories we hear gene are going to fly out to the indigenous variety. People, the work done should, that's not the case. And uh, many countries have accepted. And again, I must say, it's case by case where the need is. We don't take like a silver bullet approach, it's gonna solve all the problem. That's why I saw in my presentation, I'm showing, I'm presenting an interdisciplinary team. There's a GM technology, there's a breeders, molecular biologists, and also people to drive this to the market. Looking at the farmer preference, the quality, the agronomy, the what will make this product to be accepted. And that's the way the cowpea was able to be driven all the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good, good discussion okay. uh, last night about how you view how companies and others are bringing the GM crops to Africa in terms of sometimes not taking that time to make the crop the way it should be, and that leading to some of the backlash, as in Burkina Faso with the cotton. I thought it would be useful. I mean, you 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 know, both you seem to be very much. Pro biotechnology and also anti 
biotechnology when it's done pro improperly. So I thought maybe you Absolutely. might comment. Yeah, if it's not done properly, like the case of cotton, that's what, and you are very aware, Prof, about that. The, the problem there was breeding was left behind. That's why you can't just focus on BT cotton or the BTG. The breeding must accompany the product to ensure what happened in Burkina Faso, where the breeding was left out, the fiber went on getting shorter, finally the technology collapsed. Absolutely, it's interdisciplinary. That's bad example because it brings a backlash. So it's very, very important that... Uh, all the interdisciplinary team work together to keep these products in the market. Yeah. And also the fact that uh, is, is the, the issues of intellectual property are important. Some of the rejection or the, the, the anti-rejection uh, aspects is not just because there's something wrong with the technology. It's a socioeconomic aspect, especially in terms of are we going to be controlled by one big company? We all, the local companies may not have the technology. And so they're afraid if this big company comes in, doesn't work with us, we shall be left out of the market. So we have to have a, a listening ear. And even where now you find the companies, uh, uh, the government has accepted the, the integration of cotton. For example, they are not necessarily allowing the company to just drop one gene and take that ownership. That's co-ownership. We have the variety, you, you, you brought in your gene, there's, so there's co-ownership. So there have been maturity taken place to realize technology is not going to solve all the problem. We must also co-share co the profit. So it's, it's not being done in a better way. And maybe the fact that Africa waited to kind of come behind, they have learned also from other mistakes of others. And so they are doing it now in a very informed way because they can see what's good, how do we argue this, how do we negotiate if we have to import, and they have to import. If you are going to use BT-made technology, we have to pay some loyalties, but we also bring our own varieties. We can't use the yellow maize from U.S. We have to have the African white hard maize, just like the case of, of sweet potato. And with that, there's room for all. There's room for breeders' rights, there's room for technology, and it's done in a better way. Thank you, bro. Um, hello. Uh, you've shared some really beautiful photos of farmers with the crops that you, you've developed. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to the ways or the steps in the process of breeding and development of new varieties that farmers' input and expertise are brought into your process. Okay. Um, let me say that... Uh, here. For us in Africa Harvest, we are not a research organization. We participated in research, for example, in ABS in the, so within a consortium and also final area. But what we in the development arm, so the 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 the, the, the G research put it aloud now, maybe a quarter of the organization. Three quarters is on development. And in the development, we look for something that has, a, like for example, these sweet potatoes from International Potato Center, we are not reinventing the wheel. But if you want to know how this was developed, you'll find that the work we did on virus is still very important because if you bring out this beautiful sweet potato without virus, level of high level of virus tolerance, it will be devastated. So the early research still plays a role. But then you have to do more uh, bring in vitamin A, build vitamin A, build in the others. So work has gone. This work has taken some years. 
needed some years. And a lot of funding, for example, from Bill and Medina Gates Foundation, are the guys who developed this were awarded the World Food Prize in Demoya. I was in there where they were getting this. But it's taken a lot of work. Some many people work behind the scenes to get this. I being one of them on the virus work. And they have taken knowledge from other people to come to this product. So a lot of work goes behind coming with this product. But the beauty of it is that if, for example, organizations like CAS and others don't take it, scale it up, bring in the, the, the agronomy and the link to the market. The, farm, the, the research will stay there. The poor farmer will stay there grappling poverty. So there's also need for this uh, transfer of, of technology or transfer of the knowledge, the variety to the farmer through what has come from research, good agronomy, because even if you have good genetics, but you don't uh, unlock them with the, with the management, they'll stay there and then link to the market. So that's exactly what development work uh, we are doing in Africa. And that was my passion since I was young. I felt the need to link the science, although I've been a scientist, if I stayed in the lab and didn't do this, I would still feel that my life didn't unleash the, the areas I wanted to do. So when I see research changing the lives of the farmers, that's where my greatest fulfillment comes from. Delivering these sweet potatoes to the farmer and then eat nourishment, they make money out of it, they share seedling with others, or, or, or they, we are able to share the, 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 the innovation or the good quality varieties. That is really what makes an impact. And so we can play the science, but the science need to have a purpose. The science need to link up to especially um, in Africa to the poor. And so my challenge is that, of course, I challenge those who are able to hear me, is that if possible, let's not just in Africa where there's so much poverty and hunger, let's not just do science for the sake of science. Let's be a science with a purpose. Let's think how does that science touch the lives of the people? Even if you have to be involved in the, this gap of development, there are areas of um, working in the value chain, uh, but we cannot let research stay in shelves. We can't just publish. Nothing wrong with publication. I publish a lot, publish books. That's not enough. Yeah, I, I used to tell my, my, my scientific colleagues that farmers will not eat the genes. They'll eat sweet potato, or eat sorghum, or eat millet, or eat cassava, or they'll eat a banana. So somehow we have to make sure these genes, somehow, even if they are non-genetic engineering, they need to touch the lives of the people. So I always kept on, it's not enough to be a genetic engineer, to be world famous, it's not enough. Farmers don't go to eat genes. <laughs> Finally, they have to eat a product, okay? It doesn't mean someone has to be like me, but that will be my drive. And finally, I'm seeing my dream come true. As, as I see that science can deliver to the poor, it's, it's very rewarding. And the other people can copy the models you have developed. Uh, yes. I don't know if I answered your question. I hope I did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a really uh, good point to end on, and we're out of time anyway. So um, if you could help me thank Florence for coming and sharing her experience with us. And um, we'll be back here next week for the final colloquium of the semester, and we'll see you then, hopefully. <laughs>